Well, we're going to have our Bible reading just now. We're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. We've been working our way through 2 Samuel, and we're in some of the more difficult parts of the story, and particularly that's true uh, today. So page 316, if you've got a pew Bible, page 316, 2 Samuel 13. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like to, my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Why don't do this wicked thing? What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since she, he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of here and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing a richly ornamented robe for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornamented robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't, don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Two years later, 
When Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazor, near the borders of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his officials please join me? No, my son, the king replied, all of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Amnon ordered his men. Listen, when Amnon is, or Absalom ordered his men. Listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. While they were on their way, the report came to David. Absalom has, been struck, has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them has left. The king stood up and tore his clothes and lay down on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's expressed intention. Ever since that day, Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king, should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom had fled Now the man standing watch looked up and saw many people on the road west of him coming down the side of the hill. The watchmen went and told the king, I see men in the direction of Horonium on the side of the hill. Jonadab said to the king, see, the king's sons are here. It has happened just as your servant said. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in wailing loudly. The king too and all his servants wept bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Hamadud, the king of Geshur. But King David mourned for his son every day. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Amen. We trust that God will help us understand his word to us today. Well, let's uh, turn together to that chapter that we've just read, 2 Samuel 13. I think as we read it, we can see that this is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible, a dark spot in the story of David, and a really dark point in the whole of Old Testament history. We might wonder why it's in the Bible at all, and I hope that as we think about it together today, we're going to have some answers to that question. Let me recap a little just to set it in its context. Over these mornings, we've been following the story of David in Second Samuel. And, and David's life is a story of a, a tremendous rise and then a fall. He's a humble shepherd boy who is set apart to be a future king. He's taken into the service of King Saul. Saul turns against him eventually, tries to kill him. And then he spends some years on the run and eventually Saul dies and David ascends to the throne. He unites the people of God. He forms his capital in Jerusalem. He he knows triumph over his enemies and peace in his kingdom. And not only that, God promises him tremendous promises that that his his dynasty, his house will will never fail, that, that, that he will have an everlasting kingdom. So it's a remarkable rise. He's got to the, if you like, to the top of his career, position of great blessing and security. But, but not for nothing does the Bible say to us, if anyone thinks he stands firm, 
let him take heed lest he fall. David falls dreadfully. We've seen that over the last few weeks. He, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He seeks to cover up the resulting pregnancy. He ends up orchestrating the murder of her husband Uriah. And, and graciously, God sends Nathan the prophet to challenge him over what he has done. David repents. And God forgives him, though he warns him through Nathan that his sin is forgiven, but there will be consequences that will ripple out beyond him. And part of what we're seeing in this chapter is the dreadful ripples of of David's sin. Let's think about this story now. We need to understand who these characters are. Absalom is one of David's sons and And Tamar is his full sister. You remember that David has a number of wives at this point. Amnon is also David's son, but to a different mother. And so he is a half-brother to Absalom and to Tamar. And Amnon becomes infatuated with his beautiful uh, half-sister. The text says in verse 2 that he loves her. Now, such relationships were clearly prohibited in the Old Testament law. Amnon uh, would have known this. But he allows this infatuation to, to take hold of him. And as it says, he makes himself, or he allows it to, to make him ill over it all. And straight away, we can pause here and just make a little observation. And, and that, that's just to say this, that, that not everything that your heart and my heart is, is drawn to is right or appropriate. It's one of the mantras that you hear people say these days, isn't it? Uh, You know, just do what your heart tells you to do. Don't know what to do? Do what your heart tells you. Follow your heart. Well, Amnon was following his heart, and, and it was about to lead him into dreadful, dreadful sin. You see, the world's assumption is that the heart is good, or at least that my heart is good. You know, we're not so sure about other people's hearts, but we believe our hearts are good. We think our hearts guide us in good ways, but the Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful. It's an unreliable guide. We're capable of setting our hearts on all sorts of things that are just plain wrong. And what we have to do is is we need to submit our hearts to the counsel of the Word of God. God tells us what we're to love. He tells us what's appropriate love and what's not appropriate love. Amnon didn't do anything else other than follow his heart. And now we meet another character in the story, and this this chap called Jonadab. He's the son of David's brother. He's David's nephew, in other words. He's Amnon's cousin and friend. All of these uh, interpersonal relationships in this family are very difficult to work out. He's, he's introduced as, as shrewd or crafty, and he notices that something is wrong with Amnon, and when he is told that, he has an opportunity to speak into Amnon's life, and he does, but, but rather than speak words of wisdom and rebuke, as a true friend would, he devises a plan to help Amnon trap Tamar. This story would have been very different, wouldn't it, if if there had been good friends around Amnon to speak truth to him, to keep him in the right paths. It really does matter what sort of people you surround yourself with, doesn't it? It matters who you call your friend. It matters where you go for counsel. And it matters what you do when you are a friend. It matters that you help people 
towards godliness and away from disaster, no matter how hard that might be. Well, Amnon feigns sickness. He deceives David into sending Tamar to look after him. He has his servants leave the room. He announces his intentions. She protests in the strongest of terms. Don't do this wicked thing, she says. But he refuses to listen, and he rapes her. His mistreatment of her, however, is not even over at that point. It says he hated her with an intense hatred. He hated her more than he'd loved her, and he says to her, get up and get out. She's just an embarrassment to him. And and seeing the, the desolate future, perhaps, that's ahead of her, she protests as if to say, you now have responsibility for me in some way, but, but he, has, he has her thrown out and the door bolted after her. Her brother Absalom sees her in distress. He realizes what's happened. Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? He asks, you, you do wonder, don't you, what sort of reputation Amnon had that Absalom worked that out so quickly. And what he seems to, says to, seems to say to her next seems harsh. I'm not sure it is. Be quiet now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. I don't think he's saying, don't worry about this. He's saying, I'll take care of it. He's your brother. In other words, this will not be easy to deal with. But don't you take it to heart because I'm going to take it to heart. I'm going to, to take care of this. And he takes her into his household and she lives hidden away as what here is called a, a desolate woman. It's the same word that is used of a, a city whose walls have been torn down, that the, the, the enemy has overrun it. And David hears of this, and he's furious, but that's it. He does nothing. There is no justice for Tamar from probably the only one in the kingdom who could legally ensure that justice would be served. It is a tragic, dark, and dreadful story. Now, why is this in the Bible? There are a number of reasons, I think, why it's in the Bible, but surely one of those is so that the awfulness of what happens to Tamar here and to many, many women since is recognized. This is God saying to so many, I see what has happened to you. There's a phrase in this account that perhaps you noticed, since he was stronger than she. Many men have used their strength to abuse women. And and not only in this way that's described here, we, we know that that domestic violence is, is rife within our society. Do you know, in the figures I got were 2011, in Northern Ireland, not in the UK, in Northern Ireland in 2011, the police were responding to a case of domestic violence every 23 minutes. Some of those victims are men, most are women. And it happens in churches too. There will be women sitting in churches today with well-covered bruises saying, what can I do? And there will be many without bruises, but with a crushed spirit as a result of living with an angry man. One of the things that Peter and I, uh, Peter Wright and I sometimes talk about is how we 
may teach the young men growing up in this congregation how to treat women well. Because they, like like all of us, we're growing up in a culture where so many, like Amnon, treat women as objects, get up and get out. And one of the signs that, that we're doing something right is that women will feel safe and respected and valued around the young men who've come through this congregation. Will you pray for that? So, so one, of the, one of the reasons that this is in the Bible is that those who have suffered in this way or ways like this will know that God knows them. And, and so that it's also here so that as a church, as we do, teaches its way through the Bible, we'll come to stories like this and recognize this is real. This, this happens to people and this happens to perhaps to our people. And we ask, and, and, and what can we help? How can we help? Could, could we be a place where where Tamar could flourish, where she could be restored and healed and not hidden. Uh, Helen Thorne, a very able writer involved in London City Mission. She works with those who suffer domestic violence. She includes this prayer in her book. Lord God, it's such a comfort to know that in my struggles they are not hidden from your sight. Thank you that you're intimately involved in this world and you see all things. Thank you that you've promised to help and not to leave life unchanged. Please help me to turn to you and my church family for the strength and direction I so desperately need. And pray that that we'll be such a place. So that's one of the reasons this is in the Bible, so that those who have suffered will will know that that God, God knows and God sees. Why else is it in the Bible? Well, let's pick up the story again as we, as we follow it through. Two years pass, and Absalom has a, a sheep shearing. It's the sort of celebration if you're a, a sheep farmer. And, and this is the, the time when he invites others for the party. And he invites his father, David the king, and the whole royal court to attend the party. It looks as if this extravagant gesture was calculated to get a negative response from David. So, so they, there's a compromise. Amnon will go with the king's other sons. So, so they're sort of representing David. And this was exactly what he wanted. He tells his servants that when Amnon has been drinking and he's in high spirits, he'll give the command and Amnon is to be killed. And that's what happens. Amnon dies. The other sons flee back to Jerusalem. David hears of it. The, the rumor is for a time that all of the boys have been killed, but, but it becomes clear that only Amnon is dead and that by his brother's hand. And Absalom flees to an area outside of David's control, the town where his mother had come from. And he, he stays there for three years. And that, that last verse is always really difficult to translate. The NIV probably has it right. The spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. In other words, David, as well as mourning for Amnon, he... he, he begins to miss Absalom and and longs to see him again. So so what a chapter this is. You remember, just a a 
As we were summarizing just a few chapters earlier than this, David has reached the peak of his career. His kingdom is secure. His enemies are subdued. He's resting in the promises of God. And in the space of a few chapters, there's adultery and murder and incest and rape and fratricide. It's all falling apart. And this is another reason that this is in the scriptures. You remember, Nathan comes to David. He confronts him over his sin with Bathsheba. And he says, in effect, you're forgiven, but the consequences of your sin will ripple down through your family and through your kingdom. And this is what we see here. David sins in two particular areas. He's sexually immoral, and he has Uriah murdered. And now what do we find in chapter 13? His sons are sexually sexually immoral, and one murders the other. If you, if you imagine it like this, if you imagine his family as a, as a calm pond, David gets two great stones and lobs them in, immorality and murder. And the ripples of these things rush out across the pond. One of the commentaries I have in this chapter entitles this section, Like Father, Like Son. You know how that is, eh? Children take after their parents. We, we sometimes say somebody's a, a chip off the old block. Sometimes it's positive. You know, so-and-so, he was a really generous man and his son's a chip off the old block. But now we see that Amnon and Absalom both are chips off the old block. They have sort of followed in their father's footsteps. And that may be that the reason why when David hears what happens to Tamar, he's furious, but he does nothing. He 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 is confronted with the fact that he sees where this has come from. How can I punish him for something not terribly different than I have done myself? You see how our sin can render us impotent to do the right thing? So so what a word this is to those of us who are our parents. We are without question that the greatest influence in our children's lives. We, we are discipling them for good or for ill. And we know these things are not automatic. We, we know that there are tremendously godly parents who have wayward children. It breaks their hearts. They, they agonize over the years and they wonder, where did we go wrong? And sometimes the answer, as far as we can see, is, well, nowhere really. Uh, people make their own decisions. But, but going the other way, As parents, we must know what devastation we can bring into the family circle because of our sin. We tell ourselves at the time, this is my business. It's just me. But when you're in a family, your sin, your sin is your family's business. And when we're in a church, My sin is our business. I don't know about you, but part of me just wants to stop the story of of David a few chapters ago when everything is going well. He seems such a hero then. You know, he's battled giants. He's he's exercised restraint. He's pursued God. For a while, he just looks like he's the sort of king that God's people really, really needed, that they were looking for. And then the story goes on and it's clear that he's not that king because he himself needs rescued. But even in this, he points us to the one that we really need. Do you notice that 
heart-wrenching cry from Tamar back in verse 13. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? ESV is, where could I carry my shame? And you see, certainly Tamar finds, unfortunately, that, that she can't carry it to David because he hears of the situation and he does nothing. He doesn't help her with her shame. He is God's king, but here he can't act or doesn't. But there will come one who will. When Jesus begins his ministry, we read at the very beginning of the service, he went to a synagogue in, in, near his hometown in Nazareth and, and he took the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah 61. We read just a few of the verses. Let me read some more of the verses that speak of Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to release from darkness, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness uh, the, the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. Do you see? Jesus, the one who deals with our shame. See, in this broken world, we, we all have shame because of what we have done or because of what has been done to us or both. And at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ pays for our sins. He covers both what we have done and, and what has been done to us. The Bible tells us that he scorns the shame of the cross as he becomes sin for us. So, so through it, he, he, he carries that shame. He, he makes us his own. He brings us to God, spotless to God. Tim Chester in his uh, book tells a story of a young girl who'd been the victim of terrible abuse and uh, she got to know some of the people in his church and, and she, she, they found out that she used to scrub herself with a scarring pad because she found herself to be so dirty and stained. That's how she felt. And these friends came alongside her and they talked with her and they, they wept with her. They took her to the Psalms of Lament that said, how long, O Lord? And and they took her to the cross. And then one day, she bought a cloth rather than a scarring pad. And Tim said it was a beautiful sign that Jesus had covered her shame. See, Tamar ran out of the house that day and, and the king heard about it but did nothing. Absalom heard about it and avenged her but didn't really heal her. She remained desolate. And you just wish that she'd run out and met Jesus. So when she said, where could I carry my shame? She would know I, I couldn't carry it to him. How disappointed she must have been in, Jesus, in, in, in David. But she wouldn't have been disappointed in Jesus. Because he's the one, you see, who, who binds up the brokenhearted. 
He's the one who gives the crown of beauty instead of ashes. He's the one who replaces torn garments with robes of righteousness. He's the one who gives a double portion in place of our shame. See, the gospel says to us, we're much more broken than we ever thought. But that's okay. Because we're much more loved than we ever dreamed. Let's pray together. Lord, these are hard things. Hard things for for us to read about, to think about. And yet, Lord, we recognize that for many people, hard things to endure, to go through, to remember. We pray, Lord, for those who look back on terrible experiences and brokenness, And we pray that they may know, they may carry what has happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, all of us, marked by shame because of sin, in us, to us, around us, thank you that the Lord Jesus is the one who takes it, who bore our sin and shame, on the cross, who one day will present us spotless before the throne. We pray, Lord, for ourselves. We want to be at a place. We want to be friends. We want to be those who, who help rather than hide, who heal rather than cause distress. Work in us, Lord, we pray. We humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen.